Yo, this is Kid Acne. You're listening to the Cabbages Podcast. Welcome back, Gary. Oh, Gary, welcome back. back. We are back, baby. We are back. It's all you can eat. All you can eat. It's a Cabbages Buffet. All you can eat. Crush. Groove. People might not realize this because we we dropped these uh, bonus episodes in the latter part of the year, but we haven't done one of these since like September. It's been a while. We basically stopped. It's been a while. But we are here Mm. and we have come back with, shout out Stained. We've come back with, I think, a really great opener. We picked a great movie. We have a great guest. I don't know where else to say. I just, I, I crush think groove, we should. Crush groove with Kid Acne. Crush new, groove with Kid Acne. New Done. Cabbage's warning. Mm. Just don't expect this all the time. That's all. No, no, don't. Don't expect don't, this don't. all the time. No. Yeah, man, let's crush it. Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm into it. Let's do, we do it. We got Crush Groove with Kid Acne. I just didn't want to start chopping it up too much until, uh, you know, if we go down a tangent and then you're... No, for sure. I suspect we'll go on some tangents. But yeah, honestly, as a as a huge Lex Records fan, and obviously I've had a Lex Olium in particular, that, that compilation, like Rap Dracula was a song that just like was in my head for ages wow. and remains yeah, there. That came up yesterday as well on something. And um, oh. I, I got offered a deal with Lex then when they started the label. And mm. the idea was to put that one track on the compilation and then that album would follow. But I'd already set up my own label with my brother and my friends. And at the time, Tom, who ran Lex, uh, was working at Warp. And I was being offered a few deals at that time. So it was just like another friend of mine was starting a label. You know right, what I mean? Right. So I didn't give it too much attention. But I was like, yeah, that would be cool, except... I've got my own label now and I want to put out my own records. So sure. uh, then he was like, yeah, but you know, we could do a good thing together. Da, da, da. And there was a version of the album council pop that almost went out on Lex, but we, oh, couldn't really? decide on the, we couldn't decide on the running order or anything. And I was like, how about I just put this album out and I give you the next album and thinking then I'll make another album next year. You know what I mean? And what mm-hmm. happened in the meantime was, Tom bought himself out of Warp. He did a joint venture with EMI. Um, I did finally sign to Lex, but then I got upstream to EMI. Then the album I was making, the producer at the time lost all the um, material and his hard drive died. We rebuilt it. And the third time we had to rebuild it again to take out the samples because we were now on EMI. Right. Years went by. You know what I mean? So this record that could have come out in 2003, 2004, came out in 2007 mm-hmm. on a different label, and it was a whole different thing. So it's um, it comes up quite a lot of this my relationship with Lex that sure. it's taken me 20 years <laughs> to <laughs> deliver the album that I always wanted to deliver. But, you know, back in my early 20s, I was just like, yeah, cool, I'll do, I'll do another one for you, no problem. But we did do um, Have a Word pre-lockdown, and then just as that was rolling, we got into lockdown. So I was like, okay, you know, and I did the null and void uh, in between. And then this time I feel like third time, third time's the charm, you know, yeah. <laughs> so 
finally I made the love, album I wanted to make for Lex. I mean, I love Hauntology Codes. Like, I loved it so much, and it's gotten a lot of play in my house of late. Um, I was just putting it on this morning. I actually listened to a bunch of your records this morning just because. Um, and Run DMC for obvious reasons as well this morning. Yes. That's been my listening today has been sort of been okay. you and Run DMC. Uh, okay. So <laughs> just let's, uh, let's I'm going to clue in the, the audience now just to who they're hearing and who we're talking to. I'm so excited to have on a, a, a genuine hip hop legend. Joining us now is Kid Acne. He's a seasoned practitioner of the hip hop pillars, the Sheffield based artist. And MC has been dropping these dope albums for two decades now, more so than that. Produced by Cabbage's favorite, Spectacular Diagnostics, his latest album for Lex Records is entitled Hauntology Codes, and it's available right now on Bandcamp, wherever music is streamed or sold. Hello and welcome to the show, man. Wow, thank you. No, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. We were so excited uh, to to pique your interest in this show in the first place. Obviously, what we do is a little different than, say, your traditional interview show. And sure. of all the films we could have talked about, there's probably only three films, I think, that we could have had you as maybe the optimal guest for. And okay. it's either Wild Style, yeah. Beat Street, or yeah. what we set out on, Crush Groove. Because I feel yes. like if we're going to have you on, we got to talk about a classic. We got to talk about something classic, epic, meaningful. and I'd love to know kind of your uh, kind of experience or uh, impression of those three movies. Kind of, I'm sure this was not the first time you watched Crush Groove. I imagine. You know what? It is fantastic. That's, that's what, amazing. Uh, that's why I wanted to do it. It's amazing. Because, and I don't know why I had not seen it because, as you mentioned, Beat Street, Wild Style, Breakdance One, Breakdance Two, even um, Downtown Eighty One. I've seen yeah, all these sure. films. Of that kind of era and this sort of um, the tropes that are in um, mm. Crush Group, I hadn't seen it. I knew a couple of scenes from it, and I, I had to check with my brother because I was like, "Have I not seen it?" And he was like, "No." He got it on VHS from a charity shop mm-hmm. in the mid nineties, and I think he kind of told me it wasn't very good. So I just took his word okay. for it, sure, and yeah. forgot all about it. Uh, I watched Wild Style hundreds of times. Seen Star Wars hundreds of times. Sure, Beat Street I've watched a bunch of times. So yeah, it was it was interesting because if I had seen this back in the day, I mean, mm. I would have missed it the first time round. Um, right, you were it's hard. Kid. It's it's hard for me to judge it on its own merit because I'm kind of comparing it to these other films that I talked about. And also, I'm aware of when you you see this stuff like after the fact, it may be more critical than just appreciating it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have missed it first time round, but I would have probably picked it up ten years later. Mid nineties would have been yeah. the optimum time for me to watch this. And uh, you know, a huge, huge fan of Run DMC, huge fan of Beastie Boys. So just for those bits of, uh, alone. I think I would have really enjoyed this. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to watch it in the last two weeks on your recommendation. Have you seen it before? Uh, this was my first viewing of, of it as well. It's one of those things okay. where like, you hear about it, it's 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 there, uh, but I, I had never actually watched it. And I sort of didn't know 
what I was walking into necessarily, because I sort Okay. of see the cover. The cover is sort of iconic. You've seen this, you see all the people who are on that cover and it's like, Yeah, yeah. it's a soundtrack to my 1980s. I, I grew up in New York. And so a lot of this stuff was playing around me. And so I always had this in my ears. So watching it now, it's just like a warm bath to all those performances. Okay. It just feels wonderful, but I'd never Yeah. seen it. And I didn't, obviously I wouldn't have seen it in, in 85 because I would have been too young for it at that time Same. um, to go see the theaters. But I probably would have seen it sometime in the nineties, realistically. Uh, Jeff, this was your first time too, or? Mm Uh, kind of. I think I've I've kind of described this before on the show, but my sister ran a uh, an independent video store for a long time. -hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, you learn the limitations of what you can play in public. Yep. Uh, as far as movies, when people are in there, people complain about everything, everything. Sure. So a musical uh, is a good way to, not, to you know watch something with at least adult themes without it being uh too you know risque uh Yep. and it's not a fucking cartoon for kids you know what i mean like it's not So, so you'd home seen alone it. again Yeah, but so you'd i seen had it seen in passing. it i'd been in the background of things Yeah. and video people back in the day when they partied there was always a movie on in the background of the party And Yep. a lot of times it would end up being something like this, where we would walk through the room and be like, oh, sick. Oh, wow. The fat boys, you know, like, Yeah. but I had never sat down and, and cover to cover uh, crushed this movie as it were. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat and Okay. I absolutely loved this. Okay. I had a blast with this thing. I mean, yeah, you know, the acting's not phenomenal. There are some, There are some issues here and there, but like I, the performances, it was fun. They were obviously having fun for some reason. It just felt really realistic and cool to see Russell Simmons get beat up a couple of times. <laughs> it felt like people really wanted to do that back then. <laughs> Yeah, I find it so distracting that he was actually in it, but in the background as a different character. I'm like, Right. guys, Yeah. guys, he's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Like, well, But look, everybody and he, else played themselves. What the hell's going on here? yeah. well, look, if you were, but if you were Russell Simmons and you could get Blair Underwood <laughs> to play you in a movie, you'd get Blair Underwood to play you in a movie. There's mm. no Sure. way I'd be like, Sure. I want to be myself. Like they even had that scene where Blair was outside on the roof Yeah. doing pull-ups. Russell would not have done that on screen. He would not have gone shirtless on screen. I can't imagine that being the same thing. That said, he casts like the cast of this is, and I can sort of see like, what you were saying before about your brother um not saying this is a particularly good movie because i think if you base it on the plot or the actual acting it's mostly it's like the reverse of beat street where beat street is actors in the main roles and supporting roles by these stars Rappers, of hip-hop right. and culture Yeah. rappers and other people in the culture djs and whatnot Yeah. and then you have in this film it's an it's almost entirely reversed say for blair underwood this is movie is like dominated popularly by the people Sometimes they have the same names. Sometimes they Yep. are versions of themselves. And there's always that that goes on in this. And so you're getting this wide range of performances, mostly on one side. It was also the screenwriter's, I might be getting ahead of ourselves, but our screenwriter's first movie. Um, Okay. he had done, he'd written some Happy Days. He'd written something for uh, some TV stuff as well before that. But this was his first feature. So it is a, a, an odd thing there. The weird thing about it, and, you know, I don't have a lot of screenwriting uh, uh, background, but I have writing background for sure. Uh, it's almost like there's so little space outside of the performances 
and you've got to cram a lot of information in there and you have sort of novice actors in a lot of this that I'm it's wild that this came off the way it did yeah it's a hard I give a lot of credit to them getting a plot in like shoehorning a plot into this thing because it really is an hour and 10 minutes of performances and then some dudes being like yo this record label we gotta get some money yeah (laughs) (laughs) the fat boys are gonna go in here to an all-you-can-eat buffet and eat now for like 20 minutes (laughs) it's a tenuous plot about eating yeah it's a tenuous plot it's hard to root for anyone in it because you're not really that invested in anyone particularly no i would have loved to have seen more than eight bars of beastie boys seeing as there's other tracks that are like they play out in their entirety i'm like i I got the gist you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) you see what's happening if this is if this is the music for the background of the club scene, let's get to the club scene without the full song play. And that happened multiple right. times. But right. yeah, the plot is, is so fascinating, especially with Run DMC. It's like they're working in a car wash. Then he's ordering like 50 pairs of trainers. Then he's driving mm-hmm. a nice car. His brother's clearly having financial troubles. It's like, what? What's Run's deal? <laughs> you know what I mean? With money. Dude, like, Run is a real jerk in this. He's an absolute <laughs> bellend. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. absolutely. agree. Yeah. And, and Russell I, comes off like a pot of gold in this. That's it. So I wonder if he knew if that was a sibling thing of like, you know what? You can play yourself and be a complete dick. I'm going to get someone good looking to play my role. Let's see who comes off better. You know, um, it definitely plays into the, uh, you know, the real, there's a, there's a real life component to this where they were like, we're telling a story of early rap. Like obviously yeah. there's inconsistencies. It's, oh yeah, it's yeah. a film, but, but even their dad's in it. As yeah. The reference. And yeah. I know, yeah. and I know his dad has definitely said, he's definitely called Russ before you big dummy. Mm. He's you just said big dumb. <laughs> he said that. I'm like, you know, he said that about his son before. That's exactly yeah. it. That line was delivered perfectly. As perfectly. ridiculous as the scene. movie was, there are some really wonderful laughs in this. Yeah, there's some good mm. isolated moments, but yeah, as a yeah. as a whole um experience is is quite challenging <laughs> at times. But the second time I watched it, I enjoyed it mm. a lot more because so I, totally agree. I knew what I I was getting myself in for but it's the same as watching again you know about comparing too much to wild style and beat street and breakdance and those other films they're the same you you just pick out the the moments of it you like and yeah right it's more my experience of seeing a lot of these films back then when i was a teenager it would have been in passing at someone's house Mm -hmm. and then it's just on in the background and then you might put it on again and again and again and eventually see the whole thing in its entirety but it's more just it's the visuals and it's the the energy, but the opening scene with um, King of Rock is oh, is amazing. Oh, so good! And I yeah, I got I got really into the performances the second time around because now I know like okay, I'm not really watching this to like for the history lesson per se. I'm really watching it for you know the scenes where they interact all that much. Yeah, I'm really at this point watching it so that I can like I. I give this film a lot of credit for it being when it was and about yeah. what it was. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like there yeah. weren't tons of people telling real rap stories. Uh, but I really was into the performances the second time around. Yeah. That second time the the fat boys 
in the all-you-can-eat buffet was an absolute delight. Yeah, you can see why they went it on. It was so and dumb films. and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, and and one hundred percent, you can see why they. It seemed like a, um, a Caddyshack thing where they sort of stole scenes and got a lot more coverage than maybe it was yes. originally. I don't you know if that's that. true or not. That is actually tr- it is actually true. It they seemed had, like it. Okay. What I've read, what I've read was that the Fat Boys were meant to have a fairly small role in the film. Um, keeping in mind, like this is like not a Def Jam origin story per se. Right. This movie is a showcase for Def Jam and Rush Entertainment artists. Right. So you have obviously Run DMC were signed to profile. So were Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Curtis Blow was on another life. He was on Mercury at the time. That's so right. it's like, yeah. so you're getting these performances that kind of go in there. So Fat Boys, again, not part of that, but they were um they were doing their thing. And the, the thing that's interesting about that is they were so enjoyable to watch in the early parts of the filming of this that they said, let's give them more. Let's give them more. Yeah. yeah, let's give them a couple more videos. Why not? Exactly. And it yeah. so it paid off pretty good. I mean, they were really funny. They ended up doing other movies. It seemed like the right move. Yeah. And their tracks yeah. are so catchy in the soundtrack. They're yeah. bangers. Yeah. And <laughs> totally. look, this the director, so Michael Sh- and the director, Michael Schultz, went on to make disorderlies with them. So yeah. like it's it's clearly, you know, and disorderlies talk about movies on the background. That's one of those films that was on basic cable. And you know, I just I just have it on as a kid. It was clearly marketed to us as kids is meant to be a I couldn't a tell you a comedy. thing that happened in it, but I know I've seen it three times. Yeah. And it's okay. awesome. And it's really fun. <laughs> I remember yeah. the cover. I remember seeing the cover in the video oh, yeah. shot, but um again, I'm not sure if I've seen it. I thought it's in because my era would have been more seeing House Party, like yeah, in sure. mid nineties. And I love the fact that Full Force are in this at the end as the kind yes. of like the heavy forces. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So that obviously got someone's attention because they played that same role again in House Party. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was a little uh, surprise to see that. I was like, oh, wicked. Yeah, it's and, funny and the, uh, those inception bits like that. Like, it's say we like this, the car wash thing in the beginning of the movie, and the director had done the movie Car Wash in the 70s. Yes, okay. So it's yes. like a self-referential moment there, too. So it, 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 there's a lot of that interesting stuff in that. Yeah, it's cool. No, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad we agree that Run was a real a real dick. What a jerk. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, yeah, I think DMC and Jam Master J – they probably picked the better role. They came off real, real well. They look good. Jamaster uh, J there was... was way was wild in this. <laughs> yeah. Jamaster J, you saw like the real Jamaster J in some moments, and mm. it was just like wow. Uh, DMC maybe has one of the worst performances of this because they basically give him one line and it's a monologue, and it's yeah. in the club as he's <laughs> yeah. like chastised. And it's just not fair. They give him like seven, eight lines to like basically tell Russ you know, what he was doing wrong by his brother, and it's just like don't. Don't make him do this. Give him like Jam Master J had a couple of throwaways. He was mostly buried in the mix. And then when LO Cool J shows up uh, uninvited to, yeah. uh, to audition, Jam Master J goes into his coat. Like he's going to shoot LL Like cool he's going to shoot him. And yeah. it's like, this is amazing. This is this is exactly what I wanted to see. Right. Like, this yeah. felt like a, a weird improv moment that was just like, no, this is perfect. This is what happens when you have non-actors and you put yep. them in that setting. They might just be themselves. Yeah, and the fact they were all sat on the bed, like they recreated yeah. the dorm room from uh, Rick Rubin's NYU sure. days. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? No one's explained there's a bed in the, you know, the record offices. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so funny. I it's love good. That. Yeah, man. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes 
uh, was them in the bank demanding a loan mm. and sitting down and being, and the guy, like it opens on him being like, you want $50,000. And he's like, maybe more. Yeah. <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> what a line. Oh, maybe more, man. I mean, like you tell us. Yeah. <laughs> We're running this sick record label. And he was like, ah, I'm not going to give you anybody. <laughs> Yeah, I still couldn't really understand the financial troubles. He was, they got all these records. You know, I guess it's a cash flow thing, but yeah, right. everyone else around them seemed to be pretty flush with money, which is what reminded me of the downtown 81, where right. Baskets walking around like, I'm really struggling. And everyone's like, yeah, but no empathy, no support. Yeah. Just like, I hear no you. No one's buying a painting. That's like, the no, other yeah, thing. No is one's that stepping in to help out. It's like, it what took... people could help him? it took someone else going to run and being like, Hey, you know, your brother's like getting the crap kicked out of him. And he's like, she had to slap him across the face and be like, your brother's going to die. And he was like, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Word. And he like had the him. money and he had the yeah, money. He was fine. He could have had the money to pay any time. Run had the money to pay him. <laughs> like he could have, he, he had it in his wallet. Yeah. yeah the yeah, finances, exactly. the finances of this film are insane. And the second time I watched it, it actually infuriated me. Yes. I watch it with my wife, and she's just like, what's going on with this? How much money does he actually owe? And you find out it's like it's $5,000. And if they're selling the amounts of records that they're selling, they're getting these out there. Yeah. Again, this is a it's a fault of two things. One, like $5,000 doesn't seem like a large amount of money. The same way $20,000 is an offer from Mercury Records, or sorry, Galaxy Records, Galaxy which I assume Records. was a universal dig or nod. I assume, sure. yeah. You know, <laughs> Um so it's like if Galaxy Records is 20K is what they're offering as a starting conversation starter. And then he owes 5,000 to JB. And and so there's But that. then they offer 500,000 to the rappers like, themselves. Yeah, but there's also a period like of time. You're offering individual yeah. 500,000? Yes. I would have just gone to the dude and been like, oh, you want 100,000? I'll like move you down from there. Yeah. But then it's like the timeline is in it. Like I'm trying to figure out how much time is passing in these scenes. How long has he had to pay this person back? Why? Yeah, it felt like he, he lent not, it in yeah. that morning and by the yeah. evening he wants his money back or half the label. It's right. like it full force is coming yeah. after him like at the <laughs> end of the day. You got to think too that in this era, it's it's worth saying, in this era, you're, you're in a checks in the mail era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're not going to get checks for this stuff for like, months at a time yeah, yeah you know what i'm saying so, so is it six is it six months so between i can when see he gets the loan? Being, like when is it three I, days? I can see him being in trouble for getting a loan from somebody what i can't see is why that person in whatever year what year was this 1985 85 yeah in 1985 if someone comes up to you and like you i loaned you five thousand dollars yesterday where is it yeah they get laughed off the street like what are you talking about where is it i'm like Give me I a couple of weeks. It. Like yeah. these people have to come, they have to send me checks in the mail, these record stores. That's just how it works, dude. Yeah. Someone who's we haven't even been able to right ship questions. the records out yet. That was the other thing that I loved is the turnaround time from when he got that loan. Mm. Rick Rubin walks into work the next day and everything's that's, boxed up and ready to go. <laughs> that's why I don't understand. Like what pressing plan if can we do just that? needed this five thousand dollars to release the records today. Yeah, but like say, Run looked like he was getting paid. So how yeah. come? Yeah, like you think that would be the first conversation? Maybe speak to your brother. Say, listen, we're just gonna have to hold back your check. <laughs> yeah, we're selling out the cash flow right. because yeah. we're selling more than anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just wild. Like, yeah, so I will say that Run probably wouldn't have taken that very well as a character in this movie. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was really. 
Yeah, not likable. What a all. jerk. Yeah. <clears throat> no, uh, anyway. His interactions with everyone, even his bandmates, everyone. Yeah. Uh, and the women. Really standoffish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah, just like putting Sheila E on stage and then being pissed off that that's maybe not the right thing to do. Because when I watched it again, I'm like, oh, Russell liked Sheila E. He liked her performance. He obviously likes mm. her as a permit as a person. It's just it's not his brother's role to stick her on stage when that's their gig. And right. I think that's a pretty straightforward thing to mm. Say, okay, man. Yeah. Like, everyone we, is just not happy about anything. He's we don't happy. want to pay you for a performance you didn't do. Yeah. Do you understand where we're coming from? Yeah. And his basic response is, "I'll kill you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Well, if that's what's up, man, I guess this is just we're at an impasse. Let's fight. Just like think of all the times you've been to a think of all the times you've been to a concert, a rap show, and there's like a thousand people who are on before the headliner, the person you're actually there to see, who were never billed or never listed, and you have no yep. sense of when the headliner is going to go on at this point. It go on in the next five minutes or go on in five hours. And could it's like, be three I in the morning, could be tomorrow it, afternoon. Who knows? And yeah. it's like, I, I didn't want a Holly Rock that much. Like, all respect to Sheila It Shea was Lee. a lot of Holly Rock. It's a lot of Holly Rock. It was I haven't excessive. Holly Rocked that much since I was a wee lad. Mm. It's just not. It just <laughs> yeah. wasn't my... It, and like this is the, what's crazy to me too is like this is Sheila E with Prince, you know he's like the ghost in this movie. Like you know he is he his his imprimatur is on all those tracks that she does. Obviously he's credited in the credits and is mentioned as well. Yeah, as mentioned. Yeah. But it's like this is after the glamorous life. Like she already has a massive hit. So this is the reason why she's top billed in this movie. A massive hit. Like she's there. And so like it's just wild to me to see her in this capacity, uh, doing you know a song that didn't even make it onto her next album. Like that song is a mm. lot of play. It does not appear on her next album. Like I love Supreme does. I mean, like whatever that, that she or mm -hmm, love sincere. Mm -hmm. what, what, I'm forgetting the name right now. I'm going to kill. I'm going to be so mad at myself, but like she has single from her next record is on there, but she doesn't play. She plays I extended. I love bizarre. Thank you. So she plays this weird, you know, sort of, you know, rap hybrid that wasn't really characteristic of what she did. And like, and obviously she was an accomplished musician even before that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think she did okay as an actress in this. I think in terms of her performance, I think she yeah yeah she did, did as well as, as as she could against the folks. solid. Like the worst performance in this film, I think I'm going to say, and I say this as as a fan, so it hurts me. But it's it's Cool Rock Ski. Mm. It's just like yeah, it hurts me because I mean, look, I'm a big Fat Boys fan. He's the only one who's still left of the of the original three. Yeah, which of course, there's a sadness that goes with that. I thought Prince Marky D was hysterical. Human Beatbox was a riot. And mm -hmm. then like Cool Rockski's whole role in this is to be the guy who says, no, I don't want to perform. Yeah. That's like the only thing they like, they didn't give him anything in the script, but then he delivers it. But just a like, no. And he never really no. has a reason. Yeah. He's just like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Like, well, Even though he just performed at school. After right. The, um, the pig fetus. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you oh. do it in front of that. That is the most enthusiastic crowd, I think. I've ever sure. seen in a school I outside say, of Greece, you know. If you're the teacher of that class, uh, first of all, I thought it was actually pretty brilliant that they got kicked out of class to go perform in the hallway to be early so yeah. they could be there when everybody was coming out. <laughs> yeah. Now that's uh, a musical. I thought that's that great. was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's straight musical theater right there. Yeah. Uh, but if you're if you're having people dissect pig fetuses in your class, right, and you don't smell one of them being cooked. 
on the Bunsen burner, <laughs> yeah. then you deserve your fate. You deserve oh. your fate. They're cooking a pig inside that classroom. Yep. And nobody's like, oh, someone's cooking one of their pigs. No one. They're just like, the dude's just like. Yeah. Just on a spit. Roasting it on a spit. Just made a homemade spit and roasted it on a Bunsen, Bunsen burner. There's some great sight gags in this. And that's one of the, yeah, one of the best that's ones. That's a great like That when yeah. uh, Kurokski puts a cake in his lunchbox. Like, Incredible. Oh, that's, sorry, Maybe yeah, my favorite the part opening, of the film. The opening credits are, are great. So really good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That and each one of them getting an individual different pizza handed to mm. them in the buffet line. Yeah, that yes. each one gets a gigantic pizza, and then they just stack food on top of the pizzas. Each one of them. Then they finish all that food, go back, and the dude's like, "All right, here's another pizza. I feel you, dude." And you a provolone, a giant provolone, <laughs> a giant <Yes>. provolone. <laughs> Which disappears during the next bit of montage. Yeah, they so eat it. Like, they I guess the, they ate they it. They eat the provolone. That's a lot of provolone, man. That might have actually. Listen, that might have actually been had a representation. What's the word I'm looking for? They had a reputation, but yeah. I don't. I don't believe that they could eat a whole provolone. I feel like we would have heard that story. Somebody in a movie or a podcast would have been like, "Oh, I was with the Fat Boys when they ate a whole provolone, a shoulder, <laughs> a shoulder of provolone." I was there. It was yeah. incredible. <laughs> And, you know, obviously it's like over the, the story becomes like, like so many, like these artists, um, these hip hop artists who had fat or big in their name, like they, they lost weight over time. <laughs> like Kurok like, yeah. Ski slimmed down as like quite fit. Prince Marky D lost a lot of weight in his lifetime. Um, so like, there's always, there's always that, but that they were playing that for laughs that it works in this context because it's just like, it's so absurd. It's not like, sometimes you see like the way that weight is presented on a film and you're like, okay, that's like a punching down. Like these guys are clearly say like this is ridiculous what we're doing is yeah. ridiculous and they, and they got to come to their own conclusion as the yeah. band to be like our name is dumb why don't we just celebrate who we are yeah well that, that played out in the movie didn't it because they started yeah. sure. disco three even though they play a track and say we're the fat boys before they chose to <laughs> yes, change their did. name into the fat boys but yeah i guess that was their whole thing there was like, a little bit of inconsistency in their story a little bit but <laughs> But they won their talent yeah, show sure. when they were themselves. So I guess that was the moral in the story, wasn't it? To be, be yourself. yourself. Yeah. 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 And apparently that scene is one of the things, if you're if we're fact-checking this film, it's one of the things that's actually true, is that they were discovered and signed at this Coca-Cola tin pan apple contest. Okay. It was at Radio, it was at Radio City Music Hall, apparently. Um, and they were won first prize and they were signed based on that so it is like it is actually an accurate origin story for them interestingly okay. enough Ten pan apple bad name that's all I, I i just think it's a bad name you so my wife as you know jeff one of her her gigs is she fact checks and copy edits and right whatnot. so she started doing some work while we were watching this movie to like okay. figure out this tin pan apple thing and yeah. later a few years later the fat boys were signed to a label that was called that they may have created or part of huh. partly how called tin pan. So that's apple. like a little Easter egg for for those in the know, which I was not. It's wild. It's kind of wild that how that wild. is. That is wild. Now I like it better. This <laughs> <laughs> just it's interesting because like I love looking at this, and I think if we get back to something we were talking about earlier, is that at the time I might have felt a way about it, but looking at it now, this is a different perspective. If I had seen it then, for me, like obviously I felt deep into the song because these are songs i recognize songs i love so it was yeah. very easy to kind of to warm in there 
But like, it's also interesting to, to find out like who was involved in this film. And like, I started looking through, like as a joke, I started looking to see who the continuity supervisor was on it when the Falcon okay. line <laughs> happened in there. So I started looking at that stuff. I see some people who didn't make movies again or didn't make a lot of stuff. There was that. But then you have like the, the um, I saw this in the opening credits is you have the director of photography mm. is Ernest Dickerson, who obviously Juice in 92, uh, he did Surviving the Game, the Ice TV vehicle. Jeff and I have talked about this on another episode. What an excellent, weird, weird film. I yeah. love that movie. I and he did all those Spike Lee's. Oh, that's a that's okay. like a it's it's like um you know Ice T is hunted yeah. by rich men and has to find a way to survive, and it's phenomenal. Okay. The, the rich <laughs> men include was it Rutger Hauer, mm-hmm. uh Forrest Whitaker, Harry Busey, and right? um, F. Murray it, Abraham. Yeah. And yeah, that that's that's what you're looking at. It's it's an yeah. incredible, nihilistic, dark. It film. is a weird cast, and it is awesome. I really okay. Like that. I'll check that out. I'll check that yeah, out. It's fun. But it's, it's great um, to kind of see the people who were involved in this. Obviously, like some of these, not a lot of these actors, these artists went on to do more acting. LL Cool J probably being. I was going to say all of them. it's it's wild that like he's even less. I think he's got as many bars as the Beastie Boys, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And has the one scene and is mostly dismissed until he starts rhyming. And then they're like, oh, shit, this dude's pretty good. Uh, yeah. And then you never hear from him again. Like the rest of the film, right? Like, did yeah. I miss it? But you he wrote him again. He roadies. You see him at some of these things like backstage. Yeah, yeah. he's in the background, up. but he's not rapping anymore. He doesn't get a video. He's like one of the least billed people and becomes wildly more famous than any one other person in, that worked on this. I wonder if he was in it before the Fat Boys took more screen time. Oh, I, wonder, I wonder. I wonder about a couple of these these acts. Yeah, yeah. Beasties too, where I'm yeah. like, right. Or, or maybe they were like, the and they were, and they're like, know. you know what? I'll be in it, but just a little bit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this is going to go. So maybe they didn't want to maybe sign up for too much. Beasties and LL Cool J are the only two Def Jam signees in the movie, right? Yeah. Everybody else is either Rush Entertainment or, or your new edition, you know, and you're right. you're not yeah. you're not part of that. Like everything's Rush Management or your new edition. I love the way new edition was used and played in this movie. I like really loved like mm-hmm. the way that they were gussied up and they were doing their like soul pop, and yeah. it was like the other rappers didn't look at it with disdain per se, but they were like, oh, "Shit, that's gonna win." You know, like they're they're not doing that. Like, that's just like popular music. What are we supposed to do against that? Yeah. You know, it wasn't viewed. They weren't even like in competition with them. They were just like, oh, well, who's here to play for second place, basically. And I thought that was cool because I feel like that's the way it was viewed. Like, you know, I like New Edition fine. I, You know, uh, Cool It Now is a jam. But at the time, you know, if you're trying to get in, if you're trying to break into a business, and you come in and you see those dudes, you're like, well, I ain't doing that. I'm not the temptations of my yeah. Like, yeah. I don't have that style. I just don't have it. It was cool. I loved that. I did, but then it goes back to this question of like, why is it that like the Beasties and LL got so little of their songs, relative to speaking, played in the in the movie, but we get like that whole ass new edition performance. Mm. And we got that one. I don't know that rock and roll rockabilly performance by that one artist whose name escapes. I me. looked. There's not a jazz a, or there's like not that. a wealth oh, yeah. of information about this movie from non 
boring sources. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, you know, I read the Wikipedia, whatever. I, yeah, yeah. I poked around IMDb. There was some stuff here and there. But like people talking about this movie, you know, send us some cool stuff if you're out there listening. Like, I want to know more. But yeah, I, so I couldn't find anything that was very good. There are people that acknowledge that it happened. And some things that were like, you know, the real story is this sort of thing. Yeah, same. I didn't find much. But not no, a whole look. lot of like, this no. is what it was like to make this film. I I didn't find any of that. Yeah, same. I was looking and thought I would discover some bits and pieces about it. I'm glad it. I'm just not bad at the internet then. <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. another source here being like, no, no, you're not, you're, you're I think not there's, wrong. <laughs> I think there's been some discussions that it's been included in around, you know, the 50th anniversary year last year i yeah. think there was some of that that went on and i okay. think there's been kind of that's what reminded me of it i you think know. somebody mentioned it at one of the shows i went to yeah and was like oh man blah 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 y'all remember crush groove and i was like oh i do is this how we're supposed to react at, at rap shows yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember it was me <laughs> yeah I, I just remember the logo I remember the right. logo and the poster and the cover, but yeah, it's funny I didn't see it. But yeah, even that I was trying to find who designed the logo and the jacket because the Def Jam logo is mm. iconic. The Crush sure. Groove logo, not so much. <laughs> so it's I like, forgot. I forgot. We didn't get the same people because uh, <laughs> they did a really good job. You know what I mean? I went to uh, I went to see that new Godzilla. They ran a limited edition in black and white for like oh, a wow. week mm -hmm. uh, for like Oscar bait stuff. So I went to the downtown Manhattan, like FIDI, Financial District, uh, mm. uh, Alamo. Yeah. And they have the, the like tribute to Kim's video zone. That's sort of oh right on. in the middle of walking through there. And they have a giant, I'd never noticed it before, but because I watched it this week, they have a gigantic display of just the cover of Crush Groove. Wow. Sitting in front of Kim's video right now. That's and I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, what a weird coincidence. Yeah. The logo is an interesting thing because I I can't really remember the specifics of the logo, but I love the jacket. And just kind of, for me, it makes me think about all of the different stylistic choices in this film. It's like, I don't know if anybody used wardrobe or they just came in with what they had. Like, so yeah. much mm. black leather, which is the worst thing to perform in, especially if you are uh, the fat boys. Like you can just see at the end of the human beatbox is just drenched. These guys are <laughs> yeah. soaked with sweat because they're performing in black leather. And yep. like it's just, it's and Sheila E's outfit, like during Holly Rock, is like there's a vest over like a tank, and then the pants her, are like her, matted her or pants. First performance, the the dress in the first performance, band mm. included, yeah. is out of out of pocket. It's wild. Mm. what these people are wearing and doing during this performance. Uh, and it totally works. I really liked it, but it was also like, I could not stop staring at like what the saxophone was wearing. The saxophonist was like <laughs> head to toe nonsense. Just like, Oh, yeah. uh, I'll take something from each rack and I don't want to know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> and Curtis blow with a top hat as well. It's like, that's, right. That's a strong look. That was a wild choice. Mm. Mm -hmm. Every so, single thing that looks I, I, yeah. I could look at the screen yeah. and be like, could anybody pull any of these looks off right now? Like it would take Lil Nas X basically doing a shot for shot remake to make this work right now. I can't mm -hmm. imagine any of these looks having any sort of like 
ability. They, there's incredible choices. The, the top hat is what I forgot for a moment. <laughs> yeah. So wild. Bow tie. But well, Run oh. DMC, I mean, they look, that was iconic. You know, that's, Absolutely. Their, that's their look. And they, but... and they owned it. Yeah, they didn't. They they weren't going to change anything about what they were doing. But you're right. I wonder if what costume, other than the crushed groove jacket, um, yeah. that's probably the only bit of costume that was yeah. put in. I, I think everyone else show, showed up in what they had. Yeah, Rick Rubin definitely did. Uh, yeah. He definitely showed up. His. <laughs> it's also so weird, if I may, to see Rick Rubin on screen now yes. in this film, considering that he's turned himself into this sort of guru of creativity. I got gifted his book at Christmas this year, you know, I'm meaning to read it like this, like his sort of thoughts on, you know, yeah. these are his listening to the audio book of that. Oh yeah. yeah. He's, so it's night and day. He's a different person. So like back then it's just like, he's just this, like, you know, he's just this dude, you know, and yeah. now he's, now he's, that's the, dude. the, that's the, like one of the coolest part of the come up story of all the early rap is that, these people, a lot of people had to learn how to enterprise on the fly and did it yeah. brilliantly. And that's kind of what this story is trying to, to tell is that the enterprising on the fly is way harder than you think it is. But the blessing is that these people were wildly talented. Yeah. So it's all going to work out in the end because someone is going to make money off of these, these brilliant performers. Yeah. Who was the guy who ran Galaxy? Who was that guy? He was a producer, um, I, and I, I have oh, to that's right, yes. Amazing. But he was a producer who worked with a number of different artists and managed over the years. So he he was an industry guy. He was definitely part of the industry in the same way that Sal, the who plays the owner of Disco Fever, yes. was the actual Sal who owned Disco Fever. Okay, the club in the South Bronx. This was his club. He was hoping that by being featured so prominently in this movie, that it would do good things for his uh, his club. But as you may have read uh, in, about it, uh, his club got shut down during the filming of this movie for permitting issues. Right. So I don't mean to laugh because that's so that's such a cruel. No, but it's like a it's but a it's wild like, irony there. Like it's a, it's a wild womp, thing. Womp. Yeah. Like yeah. Womp, womp. Oh, the kind man. of the thing that was happening to the record label, Crush Groove record label, yeah. in real life happened to that club. They were I like, say, yo. Basically, we're we're like right there. If we can just get this movie to market, we're going to be oh, the they're here. Yeah. The permanent people are here. God. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's uh... yeah, that sucks. I'm a little yeah. mad about. There's one thing I'm a little mad about that I found out after that because like we watch a lot of movies for this show and we watch a lot of bad movies for this show. Not all intentional. Yeah, this like is a real life. delight comparative so, to. Most okay. of the things we we're do. so grateful to have watched this, given <laughs> yeah. some of the things that we've watched I, over the years. That's maybe why I love it so much. Is that I'm like, I was entertained at a good time. This is we great. Have, we have Stockholm <laughs> so essentially about our picks, <laughs> but like one of the things that made me mad is like what often comes up when we are talking about these movies that we watch is it's like, okay, was it nominated for any Razzies? Because there's okay. oftentimes we've watched films that are so iconically bad that they're like worst actor you know things that we've done this they're decidedly the worst movie of their year as far as critics are concerned or in contention and i was i was horrified to discover this movie was nominated for one razzie really Um, specifically this is what really made me mad for worst original song okay for the fat boys frat boys all you can eat do do they not uh, have Eyes connected to a heart? Do they have ears connected to a heart? That was so much fun. 
It's a like, good song. I think All You Can Eat, I think that was actually that ended up being cut into the music video they used for All You Can Eat, ultimately. Like, I think the same director. To. How could you not? Like, I think the same director did that. <laughs> oh, like, why not make it? So oh, I was so I was so upset. Did you are you curious That's at all jam. to know it didn't win the, it didn't win the Razzie, thankfully. It did not. It was not the okay. Worst. Are you curious to know what the uh what the winner was? Okay. Yeah. 85? Uh, 85, yeah. I don't know. Hit me. It's the uh theme song to Rambo 2 First Blood. Uh <laughs> the song is wow. called The song is called Peace in Our Life, and it is performed by Frank Stallone. Frank Stallone. Yeah. Frank Stallone. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, I know Peace in Our Life. That's a jam. <laughs> They're wrong. They're wrong. Oh, that's a jam too. The fine no. It's, <laughs> it's one of the worst songs ever. No, I was gonna try to go with the joke there, but no. It's yeah, no. I, I don't want to be on record as saying that's a good song. I've seen Frank Stallone live. The movie's crazy. I, I've seen him live. He opened for Don Rickles in Vegas. I saw him once. Oh, that was a that was an interesting night. See Frank Stallone performing. Uh, you're doing his Sinatra kind of kind of routine. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was curious because you know, given your your history and and your experience in hip hop, you know, there are these iconic figures in there, but also like the music they're making. Definitely, um, I can hear the 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 influence and impact of that on your music on your catalog. Definitely, you're sort of a fan okay. for that style and that approach. I'm wondering, sort of. Like, have you in over the course of your career, have you had any interactions with any of these people, with any of these artists, whether being on the same bill at a festival or, or in some way? Have you ever had any interactions? No, I wish, I wish, but um, no. Run DMC was like huge, hugely influential to me, uh, as were the Beastie Boys. Uh, but both of them, I came to after the fact again in the nineties. I, I, I vaguely remember. Um, Walk This Way when I was really young and I vaguely remember the first Beastie Boys album, my friend's older brother having it, but it was not till kind of check your head that I really got into Beastie Boys and then I backtracked and found Paul's Boutique and um, Licensed to Ill. And with Run DMC, I came to them after the fact as well because I was listening to rave and hardcore music uh, when I was like 12, 13. And that's like the precursor to Jungle and drum and bass, there was this sort of like up-tempo, hardcore uh, music, and they were taking a lot of hip-hop samples. So I remember hearing the King of Rock vocal, but sped up. And I had it, I had it on this 12-inch, uh, this dance record, and I put it on 33. Mm. So it was like the opposite of discovering <laughs> Jungle. You know, play, play the break slower. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a rapper. And my friend's older brother is like, yeah, that's Run DMC. I was like, what's, what's Run DMC? It's like, you need to listen to all this. So I got hugely into them as a teenager and just loved that, the back and forth and the, just how dynamic they were. Right. Absolutely incredible. You know, the first, I guess, four albums, you know, loved them. But no, I've never had any interaction with them, no interaction with the... The closest I got to Beastie Boys was I... For myself, I did an illustration of the Paul's Boutique album cover, you know, the kind of the, the gatefold. And when I went, first time I went to New York, me and my brother stood on Ludlow and Rivington and we were like, fuck, this is the corner, you know, here we are. And um, I redrew that album sleeve as a black and white illustration for, I forget who it was for, but it was like a 
is an exhibition where you reimagined a record sleeve and different artists did that. And I was like, right, I'm going to do the gatefall and do everything. And then I made that into a screen print for a retrospective exhibition. And I started illustrating for a, a wine magazine over here called Noble Rock. And Mike D writes for the magazine sometimes. So I've illustrated some articles he's written and I passed on one of these prints to him via the magazine. But that that's the closest I ever got to Beastie Boys. But mm. yeah, man, growing up, I would have, that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a solo MC. I would mm. I really wanted to be in a group like the Beastie Boys. And the first incarnation of my group, Mongrels, was a live band that was very much drawing inspiration from that check your head era of Beastie Boys. Mm. And it would have been the, the early that, days of the Roots and the Goats and uh, I guess Rage Against the Machine and Beck and all these Nirvana, stuff like that that was happening at that time. So, yeah, I, my ideal situation would have been in a to be in a group like that you know what i mean cool. but i ended up being a solo mc and it turned out different yeah it turned out great <laughs> it turned out okay it. yeah it turned out okay. i was doing all right yeah yeah <laughs> well look man i want to thank you so much for doing this with us this thank was, you this was awesome a lot of fun to have a chance to talk to you about, no about and of all things like we'd love to just be able to get into find a movie and when we can find one that's actually everybody enjoys that's that's a relief because it doesn't yeah it's cool often. and i'm glad that we haven't seen it before as well because it was nice seeing it you know a fresh set of eyes yeah. so out of the uh you're seeing a lot of films from new york right so you'll sort of oh like... so i mean we said loads yeah loads loads <laughs> i'm just curious about the like the exterior shots of like locations and things like that they are they all are they quite um, emotive for you then? Seeing yeah, that I'm. It's something where I absolutely, having grown up here, I absolutely love to see these shots because I grew up in the '80s and '90s in New York, and so um, when the opening, in the opening credits, when you see the cityscapes, like that to me is exactly what I remember. Kind of a new and like this, you can see the UN at one point, and that's a shot that is from Queens. I know exactly where yeah. you would have okay, to be. They were probably in Long Island City shooting okay. the docks down there. And the same way of seeing some of these storefronts, like I love that in movies. Like we watched a movie last year with uh Billy Woods and Blockhead as our guests. Uh, it was a movie called Street Smart. And it's uh Morgan Freeman, Christopher Reeve, really interesting strange in some ways but interesting film it's really but weird it's supposed okay. to take place in new york and for budgetary reasons they shot the majority of it in montreal and so okay. as a new yorker it's in the 1980s like probably 87 88 um and i'm watching this and i'm going like oh this is definitely not but the hand there were a handful of shots that were done in new york and you can tell which ones they are because it's okay. supposed to be in times square during that so when we right. were at the sabaro scene in times square for the fat boys all you can eat portion i'm watching this moment and I'm looking at everything around it, being like, okay, Desperately Seeking Susan is playing, is on the marquee of the movie mm -hmm, theater down mm -hmm. there. And I remember that whole setup. Because okay. I remember like when I came of age, like into, into the 90s, I would go to Times Square and it was in that transition period mm. between the seediest old days and the kind of Disney sorification that happened, particularly under Giuliani. Um, so I would love seeing that sort of stuff on screen and i always enjoyed it. and this film was no exception there i was so happy to yeah. see that i mean as an outsider just going first time i went to new york it felt like being in the film set because that's something i've grown up watching on in movies and tv shows and when i'm there it, 
it's almost like being in the Truman Show. Like all these extras have been put there for my benefit to make it feel authentically like a film set. And then, mm. you know, oh, but this is just how it is every day. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's not that many films that get made where I'm from, but there's so many from New York and certain parts of New York. And you walk into those neighborhoods, even like way after the fact, you know, 20, 30 years later, and you've oh, got yeah. that same same vibe. We watched um Street Trash recently. Have you seen Oh that? yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's New Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a doozy of a movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a wild one. But yeah, it's the same, just trying to figure out the exactly where it's shot based on the, the, the kind of location the, of the places I lived like right down the street from where they did street trash for like a, a year or two. Okay. Uh, and recognized like they were in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right. And it was gorilla. Like they didn't, you know, you didn't really have to have permits to fit to film there. Yeah. It looks weird. Cause there's no development or anything. That's just what it was then. So it's Greenpoint. I've been to Greenpoint, but we thought it was New Jersey. That part trying of, to figure out the that distance part of from- Greenpoint was like untouched until this sort of modern gentrification era. Yeah, when everyone got and now it is wildly developed and everything. But like back then, it was just broken gravel and like stores where you could buy whatever it is they were buying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bootleg, well, it's like every- bootleg destruction liquor. <laughs> it's like I've read stories about like um, I'm a big fan of word sound records, and so yes. like those uh, I love this. It's like you read these stories from like Skiz Fernando about you know, recording with like DJ Spooky and all these guys like in, in the, and in Greenpoint is where it was based. And they're just like, it was just mm. like warehousey kind of yep. bombed out. And this is like a lot of mid to late nineties. It was really yeah. something. So yeah, that yeah. was a great label. I love that. Like oh, they did the Blackwoods, oh. the 10 inch series with the mm. uh, Antipop Consortium and the mm. Jungle Brothers and uh, Truck Stop, Sebash yeah. from New Kingdom. That's how I met Sebash and Scotty oh, yeah? was through Skiz. Yeah. He did nice. a remix for me years ago. And then, yeah, this this time I went to New York with my brother. Then we hooked up with Sebastian, Scotty, and but that was more Lower East Side. We were hanging out, and then I'd go back multiple times, and then end up hanging out in downtown Brooklyn with those guys. Um, but yeah, that's how we became friends through Skiz. That's so cool. I mean, I'm, I'm such a I'm such a big fan. I was I kind of came onto them in the mid '90s and just devoured all that stuff. Mr. Dead, Metabolic stuff. Like I was just a huge, yeah. huge, huge fan. Sensational, obviously. Um, Sensational was amazing. It was a <laughs> real good time. That was. I wish I'd l- lent into that stuff more because at the time I was kind of I lent more into this kind of more caricature, like not really taking myself so seriously. But there was other versions and other types of music I was making with my friends that were a bit more just off key and abstract. And I, I wish I'd kind of lent into that a bit more because there were these moments where, say, like Word Sound and some of these other labels, I'd I'd support those artists. Um, you talked about Prince Poe and you know, sure, yeah. do support these people at LP, but I wasn't really making that music myself. So I think other people were seeing this sort of like the embryonic stages of what could be, but I didn't really pursue that until much, much later doing this stuff was um, spectacular diagnostics. And then that's sure, when I yeah. kind of come to it late in the day, but like, yeah, let's actually lean into this more abstract stuff because I've had those sensibilities since I was a teenager and it, it popped up on a, on a few records, but I sort of went on a different, I went on a bit of a detour. So I, you know, I took mm. the scenic route, come back round yeah. and, yeah, doing mm-hmm. it later. 
Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's, there's some terrific records that are coming out of this. The stuff that you've been putting out these past few years have been great. And I feel like, you know, for an artist of, of, you know, with a discography like yours and a catalog like yours to be making a record as good as ontology codes at this stage is, is just something. And again, I think spectacular diagnostics is a really, really like thoughtful producer, what he's putting together. And he's I great. Really admire what yeah. he's, I admire what he's doing. Um, so it all makes sense. Yeah. It'll be very different doing those raps with a different backdrop, even though like the last two albums I've put out remix EPs just to see what, sure. what that sounds like, because that's mm-hmm. interesting for me. I'm like, Oh yeah. Wow. That's what I sound like on this other type of production. But yeah, it, the, the partnership works, you know, my yeah. words over his beats and his mm. words, it gives me a lot of freedom to kind of lean into that territory. Yeah. And really. how does, how does that partnership compare to the one between Russ and run? <laughs> is it as how contentious many times have you gotten into a, a backstage fight like fisticuffs how many times only a couple you don't have to tell okay. me okay yeah i don't i don't need an exact number but that's good it's good to know yeah only a couple of times <laughs> just a couple of times it's generally fine that's yeah. that's low that's awesome yeah. i love it all right well done peace well done. and generally speaking if one of us is, is stuck for money and the other's literally got that money in their pocket we, we tend to help each other out rather than um, mm, mm, allow mm. them to be beaten up as well, you know. Yeah, multiple yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. By and member, then, by, and by then you have to get slapped by someone and be like, "Oh, fuck! You mean like yeah. trouble, trouble? Oh, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Don't worry about it. This thing Even will be solved in five minutes." Runs like approach towards Sheila E was not good at all. Why? Okay, he came there not for that purpose. No. None. Why was he, he there? Really didn't have a purpose. And maybe he was looking for uh for Russell. Yeah. And thought he might be there. Really doesn't know. seem like it. But he kind of just like walks in there like... and is like, you know what? I don't like you. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like this very entitled. It's just like there's hmm. no speaking to one of us. She's like, Yeah, come in. And he's like, No, you know what? Fuck this place and fuck you. I'm out of here. It's a lot of like, He's pissed off. He's a pissed off person. He's been angry. Yeah. He's angry. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. But he we can don't go where particularly he wants. know why. I did like that. The rest of his band was like, "Dude, if you're wilding like this on your brother, what do you think is going to happen?" Yeah, that was a great. Scene. <laughs> yeah, like, so do your thing. Yeah, and then he cool. throws a wad of money at a couch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, mad at this money. Damn this so money! This money. <laughs> I'm so angry at this wad of cash. <sighs> What a good film. I, so I might awesome. watch it again now. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I never watched the other ones that we were talking about because I haven't seen those in forever either. Now you need to go back to a Beat Street watch. I am, I'm due. I'm Beat due Street's Beat on Street Tubi, watch. I think. It is. I think they tried I've to show Beat it to Street, me. Street, they tried to show me too. Yeah. I it came on last night and I was like, put a pen in it. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's good. My friend likes watching it at Christmas. He's like, it's a Christmas. Oh, okay. It is. Oh, that's a good one. I can see that. I was like it um the scene. The alcoholic sampled on weekend oh, party, right. and mm-hmm. then like just seeing that, I'm like, oh yeah, because I love Al- Alcoholic's first two albums. So I was, oh yeah, oh, yeah big big right. fan of that. And then it wasn't until I watched Beat Street again, just randomly, I'm like, I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's the, that's what they used. And it, it's such a dope. And the guy bites open the beer can, and <laughs> the, the painting of the octopus DJ behind them. And again, yes. just like no inhibition. It's been so long. There's hardly oh, anyone so there. Fun. There's the lights are up. But everyone's just happily dancing, you know, in a very thin crowd. And oh, it's dope. It's a good film. It's a good film. Yeah. That. But yeah, right, I, think I, got my, 
That's my rewatch tonight. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's I'm into that. Come on. I want to talk about something with this film. We didn't really we didn't we didn't get to cover it much with the guests because we were having a mm-hmm. lot of fun. We were. Who was made a saint and who was made a sinner in this obviously fake version of rap being formed? Sure, sure. I'm not quite sure that that's the. I mean, the real story. A lot of those people kind of flip flop. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Reverend Run is a bad guy but he comes across in this movie is really just a like, surly character yeah hard to deal with you know? run i don't know much about run's life but i feel like run not like a wild human who would like betray his family <laughs> no, i mean no. especially like it doesn't he, seem that way to me in the no in and the, later in the on he does and he does like reality tv later he did run's house like and mm-hmm. he just seemed like you know like a like an affable dad, you know, sort of thing. I, I no. At the same time, Russell Simmons, we know the, now. the hardworking entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. There were there was other things going on there. You know, there's there's a moment in the film where he offers uh Sheila E an escort home. And unfortunately, when you look at it in these contexts, I now, was a little like, ooh, it, it it's a chill, it's a cringy chill, and obviously yeah. it helps that, that he's not played by himself in the film. He's right. not, like, the only people is not, and that you we know, know this story is fake. This is not yeah, at all. So it's it's Blair Underwood. Down. Yeah, but like Russell Simmons, the allegations against him are very real and yeah. very chilling, and it does again one of the things of watching this film from years later um, and seeing that, just kind of seeing that going like, okay, is this. Uh, this maybe seems a little off, especially because it does ultimately lead to adult situations between these two characters, um, but like in a consensual way, which clearly is not what he's he's accused of. So, like, I don't want to 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 go out and just kind of not address this. I think it was important for us to well to just also, say that I that mean, is the thing that exists. As like a house guest, is, I'm just going to tell you guys if you're ever house guests mm. with someone, I don't recommend going into their bedroom and just lighting candles while they're trying to sleep. Yeah, I'm just gonna. Cringy. I'm just gonna say, no matter your intention, you know, you may not have uh, the proclivity to, you know, you're you may not be trying to uh, procure sex there, but it's just a weird look to like if somebody rolled in my bedroom was staying in my house and just started lighting candles, I'd be like, first of all, where did you get the candles? Did you fly with those? What's going on? And secondly, I'd be creeped out. Well, it's like what vanilla that ice. Scene was a remember vanilla weird. remember vanilla ice and cool as ice when he yes. was with the Yes, he just kept ice. sneaking in that woman's bedroom and just being it's there when like, she woke up. So disturbing. And the 80s did that a lot. There was a there was a stalkier element, I feel like. Maybe it's still there and I just don't see it. I, don't I just know. avoid it. I don't it, know. It's it's there was a stalkier say. element in the 80s and 90s where dudes could do wild shit and it was basically just to be laughed at. Like, yeah, yeah he's persistent. And like I know that we're we're gearing up now for the second season of uh, rapper movies, so mm. we're probably going to get into some dicey territory at some point. I think we've largely Always. managed to avoid it for the most part, but we're, I think we're going to get into some stuff throughout these. There's definitely going to be some more serious dramas in this. There's going to be some some choices that are made. You know, we've watched some films, uh, not for this show, but of late that have sort of had these moments. I think about when we saw Sugar Hill. Um, mm-hmm. 
and Yvonne Curtis Hall's role in that film was chilling. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we've seen. So we're sort of getting a sense of this sort of what things were like in the 80s, 90s and 2000s in film, um, which is largely where we tend to draw from for these. But I think we've got a lot of interesting stuff ahead of us. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed what we did with Kid Acne. I certainly did. Side quest, side mm. quest. Snoop Dogg and Mike Epps are putting out a We're Coaches movie. The Underdogs. Now, one. we might have to consider it. I feel like Just we think did about a, it. Think we, about we've, it. We've talked about Snoop on this show before, and there's but this is stuff. new. Yeah, no guess. Be an opportunity. We just do it. We might just do it. Maybe we'll do it for our for our paid subscribers. I don't know. Sign up. Pay us some money. We'll watch more Dude, movies. Come on, my kids need wine. My children need wine. It's the Cabbages Podcast Network. <laughs>